This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 44. This is Writing Excuses Adrift. How do I fix what is broken? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And we are once again on the Writing Excuses Cruise! We would also like to welcome our guest star, Delia Sherman. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. Um, I'm glad we didn't scare you off last time. Let's go ahead and talk about revision. So, you have your novel, um, and you have carefully placed these episodes somewhere, where you can listen to them later on. and or maybe you're just going right into them and you are now ready to revise your story and you realize it is broken, broken, broken. Let's talk you through strategies for fixing those things. How do you guys each do your revisions? Um, We're not gonna be talking about polishing this time. We'll talk about fixing the broken parts. Dan. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh Uh-huh. Well, Um, after what you did to me last time. Okay, so I... Think of revision in several phases. And the last one, like you you just referred to, is polishing. The first one is the really big, broad stuff. You know, does this story work? Is the ending satisfying? Do I like the characters? Does reading this make me want to keep going? And honestly, most of these questions I can answer either by myself or or with beta readers, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, When I was trying to get... You know, some of my very early books, giving them to friends and t- going back to them a few months later. Hey, uh, what did you think of my book? Oh, yeah, I started that. <laughs> and then never finished it. And that's a good sign to me that there's not, it's not compelling. It's not keeping them going. And so once I know what all of those problems are, more or less I've identified, I try to figure out, you know, what will be the best solution. If, if the ending is not working, that doesn't necessarily mean the ending needs to change. It often means something else in the beginning needs to change. If the characters are not mo- working, if, you know, the, the plots are not compelling, there's usually some weird thing that you don't think about. One weird to, trick. <laughs> one weird trick that dentists hate. <laughs> and... You, <laughs> And, and I don't know exactly how to describe how to find what that thing is. Um, for example, when I wrote The Hollow City, it didn't work for a lot of people. It just, it wasn't working. Brandon is one of my writing group and, and didn't work for him. It, it, and the solution, in part, was to add an extra character. And that extra character, the role that she served is I realized there was no one in the story right now whose specific job was to kind of demonstrate the difference between what was real and what this guy was hallucinating. And so simply adding a character who could do that mm. made the story work. Mm-hmm. Approaching it from a, from a, a tactical angle, if yeah. you will, uh, the problem that many people have with a project the size of revising a book is that it's a little bit like you know eating an elephant. You, know, you just got to do it one bite at a time. Where on the elephant do you start? Mm-hmm. And for me, what I will do is actually outline my revision process. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing I need to do is dive into this muddy bit in chapter 16 
and I need to straighten that out. And I, so I will make that task list for myself and that helps me see that I am making progress on the revisions. Writing a novel can often be very, very linear, very, very sequential. You start at the beginning, you write through the middle, you write the end, and you get to be done. Revising, starting at the beginning and writing through the middle and getting to the end, often doesn't work because you miss the things that you need to fix. There, there's another aspect of this. I, I have a similar thing, a similar process. As I'm writing, we've talked about this before, that, that a lot of times when you're writing and you know that you need to change something, to just put it in brackets, make a note to yourself, and then go back and fix it later. So a lot of times what I do is the very first thing I do is I go back and address the things that I knew were problems as I was working on it. But then the next thing that I do is I, I actually sit down and read the book mm. myself, and I try to just note my reader reactions and, and you know, we, I, I've said before that you try to read something as if, as if you're not the person who wrote it. And a lot of times the reaction is, oh, but I know how it ends. But you also have films or books that you have read over and over and over and you can quote. And they still give you that enormous sense of satisfaction. So there's no reason that your book can't give you those same feelings. So when you have a sense of being bored while you're reading your own book... That's a sign of a problem. Mm. And so I just mark down things that I think are awesome, like this part really pleases me because I don't want to accidentally fix them. Things that are boring, things where I'm confused because sometimes I've gone back and I'm like, what the heck was I doing here? And things that I don't believe because sometimes it made sense in the moment. You go back and you're like, I have no idea. I mean, nobody is going to survive a fall from the 10th floor onto <laughs> concrete. That's just... I've done that sort of thing. Not yeah. fallen from the 10th <laughs> right, floor right. onto concrete. I've, After I've one up everybody. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've written, looked at a chapter and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yes. This doesn't... And all my beta readers are like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like... Wow, was I, you know, you, yeah, you're like, what, what, no. Who snuck in here and wrote this chapter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my yeah. computer. Yeah, and I, the, one of the things also is that I do not do any wordsmithing at this stage. This is purely a structural draft. After I've gone through and identified the problems, then I go back through and come up with solutions. And one of the reasons you don't want to come up with solutions in the moment is that a lot of times it can have a cascading effect. Like, you can say, ah, so, you know, I noticed that my heroine faints a lot. I won't have her faint in this scene, uh, you know, and that will fix that. And then you realize, well, if she doesn't faint in that scene, and this has actually happened to me, if she doesn't faint in that scene, then no one has to call the carriage. And then the next scene where they have pivotal plot conversations in the carriage, which they have to have in the carriage for reasons which will cause everything else to unravel if I move it, then the whole book will suddenly unravel just because I decided not to have her faint. So if I had been doing this in a linear fashion and decided to go ahead, nah, I'll just go ahead and rewrite the scene where she doesn't faint, it would have been disastrous later. So I just make notes about what I need to fix. And then as Howard does, that gives me an outline and I go back and attack those kind of in size order. Um, some of the, the little things where I'm confused because I've left out a word, yeah, I'll fix that right in the moment. But otherwise, I, I go back and deal with them in size order. And a lot of times, the smaller things will go away when I fix a big one. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I was nodding madly when you were talking about outlining, but I outlined something completely different. I outlined my book. Um, I am I am a pantser, of, and I completely <laughs> make it up as I go along, and I frequently become entirely lost and start one book and end another. So it, it is necessary for me to sit down and figure out what book it is I'm actually writing, because you can't write two at the same time. In, with the same words in the same text. Um, so so you, you actually outline your book after you're done. Yes. That is awesome. I, I, I do the same thing. That's, yeah. Because even, even on the occasions when I have made an outline to begin with, I don't always write the same book that I outlined. So I really do need an outline. And if I can't outline it, then I can see where I've gone wrong. Um, and at some point while I'm doing this, I have to figure out what the book is about. What have, have I written a book about the human condition? Have I written a book about gender relations? Have, what, what is the overarching theme? What was my subconscious telling me that maybe I didn't know I was doing? And once I've identified that, then it's a whole lot easier to be able to make it more like that and to take out the stuff that isn't like that. So you guys remember the episode in which we add, the, the homework assignment was that you needed to reverse engineer mm-hmm. an outline from a book? Yeah. This is one of those places where that applies. And if during the course of this course, you realize that you're in fact a pantser and that outlining doesn't work for you, that's where you can apply those skills. It's still all about analysis and understanding structure. It's just a different point at which you apply that. You mean our homework was relevant? I know. It's like we planned this. Um, I want to give you a few little uh, tips. I actually do basically what Mary just outlined, so I'm not going to go over it again. That, that's my method of, of revision as well. A couple things that help with this. Um, I do use beta readers, um, and I do start this document that, uh, that is like my list of things to change the moment I come up with the first thing that I want to change, which is often in the middle of writing the book. Um, this is because... I really need forward momentum as a writer. Most things I don't want to go back and fix. Um, if a major character thing is broken, I will go back and fix it. Um, but if it's something, if, if it's most things that need to be fixed, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to try a new character here. Okay, that character worked. I will add to my um, thing. This character needs to show up in the first part of the book rather than appearing magically in chapter 17. Um, and I actually do this and I keep it um, open and I stick it on Dropbox and my, my alpha readers, my assistant, my wife, things, they can add things to this document as, as suggested problems that they have come across. Um, and then when we do the beta read, which works very well for us as a Google document, make a, a Google spreadsheet actually that has a tab for each chapter. I give out the book to, you know, 18 people sometimes. It's, um, you know, sometimes fewer than that. But then they will each have their name, sign their comments, and they'll write in the chapter, here was my response, here's my reader response, here's where I'm confused, and sign it. And then others will sometimes respond to that. And so when I do a chapter, I can look at this sheet, pull out the things that I think are relevant. Because you don't really ever take everything people mention. Um, but they will pick out things, and you'll see, you'll see running themes. Where, like through all of these chapters, people are noticing the same thing. Then you add it to your document that you use as your kind of revision guide. Now, I'm going to make an admission here because I have grown into a process that does something that we used to tell people to never do, which is I always fix things as we go. Because mm. um, I, I used to do it that way, you know, identify a problem, I'll come back and fix that later. I, I can't do that anymore. I suppose I could, but I hate doing it. You know, um, and it drives me nuts to know that that character needs to show up earlier and to not 
go back and do it right now because that will change all of the dialogue. And if that changes the dialogue, then that will change their relationships and I have to go back and fix it. You know, I, I think I, I want to bring this up and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that a lot of times advice like don't revise as you're going along mm -hmm. is something that you give to new writers because a, when you're new and you're still trying to figure out, it's completely possible to just stop your process. Mm -hmm. And as you train yourself as a writer, one of the things that's happening is that you're also training your internal editor. And a good editor-author relationship makes a book really good. Uh, it can make a book, you know, that's fine into something that's actually brilliant. Most of the time, your editor only gets to look at the book at the end, depending on your process. But if you have an editor who works with you well, and they're working with you all along, it can hone that book so by the time you get to the end, you have a much cleaner first draft. And if that editor is your own internal editor, then, you're, then that's going to help. But what happens to new writers is that they're trying to train their writer brain and their editor brain at the same time. And that can completely stop the process because you ask the editor, okay, so you've flagged a problem, how do I fix it? And the editor has to sit there and go, uh... Because you don't know yet. Well, and one of the things, Dan has written enough books, he knows his mm -hmm. process well enough, that he's not going to break more things by fixing this. And he'll know when he puts that new character in that they, he really likes that new character from just the get-go. Um, a lot of new writers I've worked with, they'll do something like add this new character, be like... That's great. Then go add them all to the first part of the book, then write the next chapter and be like, oh, this was wrong. And then they end up rewriting this character out, and um, it can just kill your momentum. Um, but we need to stop for the book of the week. Um, and we're going to do this year something that we did at the retreat last year, which is we are going to have one of our Writing Excuses cruise members um, pitch a book that they have loved. Yes, today we have Luke. Uh, who I had lunch with today, and we talked about books, and he told me about uh, one that he really loved. So uh, he's going to tell us about it now. He's going to be speaking directly into my forehead. Wait, wait. He's also going to be speaking into this other mic so the audience can hear him. Well, and also I was going to pause so that we could give Bert time to get back up on stage. Okay. So uh, the book I want to sell to you guys today is Off to Be the Wizard by Scott Meyer and narrated by one of my favorite narrators, Luke Daniels, um, who is just amazing at doing different voices for all the different characters. Um, and basically it's about a computer nerd who discovers that the real world is actually a big computer simulation and where by changing a few lines of code you can actually change reality. So like any good computer nerd, he decides to program himself back in time to the Middle Ages to use his newfound knowledge to become a wizard. <laughs> and he quickly realizes, however, that he's not the first computer nerd to do so. <laughs> so it's a fantastic, funny book, and uh, one of those few books that actually laugh out loud in public while I'm listening to. Who is the author one more time? Uh, Scott Meyer, and narrated by Luke Daniels. And Luke Daniels is also a fantastic narrator and a really nice guy, too. Yes, and you, if you want to get a copy of that, you can go out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, start a 30-day free trial membership, and get a free copy of Off to Be the Wizard by Scott Meyer. Okay, so we've got just a little bit more time on revision. Um, I wanted to, to mention something kind of cool that we do sometimes um, with my documents, and that is, since we live in the computer era... We can do some, some different things, and that is we can do um, some cool search and replaces. Um, now, we're not talking too much about polishing, but you had mentioned, Delia, um, sometimes looking for, uh, you mentioned something that sparked this in my brain. 
I will actually do a search where I'm like, this is a, a word, like, oh, this character. This character is broken. I know this side character is broken. Do a search and replace for that character plus brackets around their name. Meaning you change that character's name to that same name but with brackets around it. And what this does is as I'm reading through my document, it hits me every time I get to that character's name. Oh, wait, there's something broken about this character. I can be reminded of all the stuff that I need to fix about this character every time I see that bracketed name. And this is kind of a cool tool that you can use anytime you've got some large sweeping change that you need to make, particularly if it's related to a character or a place or something like that. Along those lines, one of the, the tricks that I used when I was learning to do this, uh, which I, I need to do less frequently now, but um, sometimes I'll color code the, the changes that I need oh, to yeah. make. Uh-huh. Um, particularly if, if I feel like there is, I can tell that there's some sort of balance issue, there's something going wrong, and I'll, I'll just go through and put a, a line next to the character's name. And, you know, actually, as I'm saying this, I think that I picked this up from doing audiobook narration mm. where I would highlight lines and it became really, really, it becomes very obvious when you do that. Um, you can just flip through and look and go, oh, you know, I, I assigned yellow to Alana and she has all of the dialogue, mm. which might be okay, but it mm -hmm. might also signal a problem. And sometimes the, this can help you spot balance, particularly if you're a visual learner, if you're visually oriented, a lot of times that can is another way to do it. Uh, and one of the other things is when you're doing the outlining um, is uh, I, I just experienced this at the um, the thing that we were doing, the... Uh, the oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Our secret uh, project. Our secret project. So we were doing a secret project, which I think is public by the time this airs. Probably. Um, so, but we're working on a, a series uh, with six other writers. And so we worked out the timelines for the characters and we put their major plot moments for each chapter in a note card on a board. And you could immediately look at the board and see where the holes were. It was so obvious where the holes were. And so I, I am now going to try that with the next thing that I mm. am working on because it was so easy. I have so to tell easy. you, it works really well if you happen to be very visual. I have to say that most of the things that you have said make me want to crawl under the table and weep gently. <laughs> I find them incredibly daunting because I am not an organized person. I have to be able to see something. I can't, it, it, this, this is all too slippery for me. So those figuring out a way to outline with note cards um, and to be able to pick something up on a bulletin board and move it to another place and look at something that's laid out. For those of us who are less technologically advanced um, and, and who are perhaps daunted by all of the, or the, the amazing organization by which I am surrounded, um, might want to do the low-tech Way One of the reasons doing. why the film industry is so standardizedly dependent upon the storyboarding process. Mm -hmm. You have a wall covered with visual elements that show you the movie, and, uh, and one of the reasons for that is that there's a, for lack of a better word, a committee working on that project, and you can't trust them all to have the whole thing in their head, but when it is up on the wall, you can see it. You know, when I was, uh, I got to tour Pixar, mm. and they have on the wall this cool thing for, um, they do it for every film, where they take each scene's coloring and put it as a little ribbon 
um, on, a, on, a, on a long continuum. So it's almost like a timeline, but it's a timeline of color. So they can see if, um, if certain scenes are jarring color palette wise from the scenes around them and if they want that to be the case which I had never considered the, mm-hmm. and if you look the, the one they showed me was Wally. It, it it actually had this blend of colors that was really interesting going from the browns into the into the whites of the spaceship into space and then into colors and things with uh, with green and whatnot near the ending and it was really interesting and that was just the prominent colors for each scene um, every couple of seconds they took one of those um, but we are out of time for revision. Um, we will come back um, and talk about this again in a couple of weeks. Um, but we are going to give you some homework. And this was actually one that was suggested by Nalo when she was on the um, podcast to me. We were talking about uh, revision. And she uses something like this color uh, method, but she uses it for senses. Hmm. She suggested take getting six colors, printing out your uh, your manuscript, or just doing it on the computer screen, um, and highlighting takes the six color, six five senses plus movement. Anytime something's moving, you highlight it in one color, or someone's moving. Anytime you mention a sense, mention another, um, the color appropriate to that sense, and then see how you're doing with your descriptions, and see if you have enough motion going on in your story. Uh, so that's your homework. Take a chapter and do that. Take a whole book and do that if you want to. Um, take a short story and do that. This has been Writing Excuses Adrift. Uh, we'd like to thank our studio audience. We would like to thank Delia. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you. Outstanding. You all are out of excuses. Now go revise. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 